The first one is from Matthew chapter 8. The second one is from Mark chapter 4. The third one is from Luke chapter 8, and they're all from the Word of God. So what do you mean? I mean the King James Bible. That's what I mean, God's preserved Word. So stand with me, if you don't mind, as we look at Matthew chapter 8. While you're standing, I am out of all the books. Thank you for getting them. If you wanted one and didn't get it, if you'll fill out a little card and pay me the, the, the price I advertised this morning, the special price, I will mail it to you and I'll pay the postage, all right? So I don't want anybody to be disappointed. And I'll make you a special deal. I know you've got to be careful with your resources, so you get anything you want from my table. Keep it as long as you like. Subjected to whatever abuse you wish. And if at any time you're disappointed, you feel like it was a bad investment, you call me up and I promise I will immediately tell you how very sorry I am. <laughs> Matthew 8, verse 23. When he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. Now there's a good idea. The disciples ought to follow Jesus. Behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came and woke him and said, Lord, we perish. And he said unto them, Why are ye fearful? O ye of little faith. Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea do obey him? Mark chapter 4, if you'd be willing to turn there. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. The same day when the even was come, he saith unto him, let us pass over unto the other side. And when they'd sent away the multitudes, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there rose a great storm of wind and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say to him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly. I want to laugh every time I read that. He says, Why are you so fearful? And they feared. And said one to another, what manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Luke chapter 8 and verse 22. Thank you for turning there. Now it came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples, and he said unto them, let us go over unto the other side of the lake. And they launched forth, but as they sailed, he fell asleep. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake, and they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said unto them, Where is your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, What manner of man is this? For he commanded even the winds and the waves, and they obey him. Father in heaven, Thank you for letting me be part of this wonderful church, this special 60th anniversary. Thank you for this faithful preacher who loves you and loves your word and loves this people. Lord, I'd sure like to be a help. But I can't help them any more than you help me. So I pray, Spirit of God, that you direct me and empower me. The very best I know, I'm at the place in your word you wanted me to be tonight. 
You said that the devil comes and tries to snatch away the seed of your word whenever it's sown. Bind the devil and his demons, please keep them from interfering with us receiving the good seed of your perfect word and help us to decide in our own spirits right now that we'll be good soil and accept willingly what you have for us. Bless the invitation time. Bless the preaching of your word. Draw us to yourself. Well, thank you in Jesus' name for what you do. Amen. You can be seated. The Jews were not a seagoing people. They were landlubbers. The Sea of Galilee is about eight miles wide, about 13 miles long. It's surrounded by mountains, and the wind has cut gullies into those mountains, and it can whip down and stir up a storm in a heartbeat. But in this boat are four expert sailors. Peter and Andrew and James and John make their living on this very body of water. Probably in a boat Exactly or very similar to, exactly like or very similar to the one they're in now. But this storm's really bad. This storm is so bad that even the experienced sailors are scared to death. The Lord Jesus is asleep. Doesn't seem to have bothered anybody. Nobody said, Lord, please don't go to sleep. They said, Lord, we're crossing the sea gallery. We're going to need you. They figured they had it. They knew what they were doing. Did you know that we need the Lord Jesus all the time, not just when the storm comes? Without me, you can do nothing. So I want you to think for a minute about the reason for the storm. These disciples were in the will of God. They were doing the work of God. They were following the Lord Jesus Christ. They were on a place to minister, and the storm came up. I'm trying to serve God. I'm trying to be in the will of God, and I'm having all these troubles. It just doesn't seem right. I watched the Hooky Pooky television station, and they said if I would give them money, that God would always make me rich, happy, and healthy. Why? Well, my favorite commentator, and I think your preacher's favorite, one of his, is John Phillips. In his book on the Gospel of Mark, John Phillips points out that the Bible tells us the Lord rebuked the wind and spoke to the waves. He said that word rebuke is most often used in rebuking an unclean spirit. Now we know the devil's the prince of the power of the air. Not the earth. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The devil doesn't have claim to one square inch of God's good earth, but he's the prince of the power of the air. We know he loves to stir things up. We know what he did to Job. We know he's the accuser of the brethren. and He's a deceiver and a destroyer. And so John Phillips believes that the storm was inspired by Satan. I think that's likely true. You don't have to believe that. I'm just suggesting that's a possibility. I can't prove that to you. I think it makes sense. But I'll give you a second reason for the storm that you have to agree with. The storm was instructive for the saints. They knew Jesus could make blind people see and lame people walk and cleanse lepers. And they may have even already seen that he could raise somebody from the dead. But they're all amazed to find out he can control the elements. People get all confused. They say, well, the Lord was testing me to see whether or not I would be faithful. He was not. He wasn't trying to find out anything. He already knows. 
There's a rascal a while ago. He's in jail now, but he had pastored a big church for a little while. And he said that Jesus didn't know who he was when he was a little boy until Mary and Joseph told him. That'd be an interesting conversation. I tr- I've talked to him about it. I played dirty pool with him. I used a very obscure verse. I said, no, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. God has always known everything. Our Calvinist friends have a big debate on whether they're infra or subra, uh, supra or sublapsarians. They argue about the order of God's decrees. Did he first decree man's damnation or his reprobation or his salvation? And it's a dumb argument because there is no order of knowledge with God. God's always known everything. And when the storm was over, the Lord Jesus didn't know one thing about the disciples. He hadn't known all along. But they knew something about him. Wow, they knew that he could control the wind, that he could control the waves, that the elements were subject to him, that he was not only the God of human disease and human misery, but he was the God of all creation. And let me tell you the storms in life are always designed not to harm us not to hurt us not to ruin our lives but to help us know more about Jesus but I want you to notice the response to the storm the disciples are scared it's a bad storm my friend brother chapel went fishing in the Gulf of Mexico with his grandfather took some of them out and the really bad storm came up and the, the captain was at the wheel and he was kind of struggling and his grandfather said uh, sir have you ever been in a storm this bad before he said si senor but in a much bigger boat <laughs> they're scared the expert sailors are scared they say wow we're about to die we perish we're in jeopardy the disciples are scared Jesus is Sleeping. Sleeping. Does it ever seem to you that the Lord Jesus is asleep when you're in a storm? You pray. You ask for help. Nothing changes. No check in the mail. No good news from the doctor. No resolution of the family conflict. He's sleeping. I would suggest you He was sleeping on purpose. In fact, I would suggest to you that everything our Savior ever did, he did on purpose. I've had people sleep when I preach. I don't fuss at them. I deserve it. I believe in the law of sowing and reaping. When I was in college, I worked. And uh, I remember one year I was working night watch. Every other night I worked either from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Next night off. Next night, 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. I was working at a mattress factory eight hours, two days a week, four hours, the other three days a week. And, man, I was tired. I got a few hours sleep a night. And I perfected the art of putting a hymn book under my elbow, resting my chin on my fist, and sleeping in an erect position. So I'm owed people sleeping while I preach. I did hear about one preacher. Had an old guy went to sleep every Sunday and just conked out. The preacher's tired of it. He said to his wife, I'm going to get him. You watch it. I'm going to get him next Sunday. He waited until the guy was sleeping real well. And he said, everybody who wants to go to heaven when you die, please raise your hand. And then he said, everybody wants to go to hell when you die. Would you please stand up? The old guy woke up, jumped to his feet. He looked around and he said, well, preacher, I don't know what it is we're voting on, but it looks like you and me are the only ones for it. <laughs> but I have never had anybody bring a pillow in, put a pillow on the pew, lie down and go to sleep, and Jesus is asleep on a pillow. Jesus sleeping. 
Disciples are scared. But here's the third response to the storm. The ship is safe. Anybody own a boat? It's okay. I'm not preaching against it. Good. I've owned boats. I've known the two happiest days of a boat owner. The day I bought my boat and the day I sold my boat. I even knew the day I sunk my boat one time. I had a boat sink once. <laughs> and uh, all boats get some water in them. You got a 16-footer with a 25 horse on it. You go fishing in. You've got a milk jug or a coffee can in there, and you get the water out of the bottom of the boat. You got a bigger boat. It's got a bilge pump, and the water is designed to run down to the back of the boat. The bilge pump's like a little bit of kind of a small sump pump, and it pumps the water out. But I do not know any boat that is designed to function full of water. The Bible says their ship was now full. The Bible says it was covered with the waves. That would have sunk any ordinary ship, but it doesn't sink this ship because Jesus is in the boat. Master, the tempest is raging. The billows are drawing nigh, but no water can swallow the ship where lies the master of ocean and, and wind and skies. Hey, I got news for you. You better be in the boat with Jesus. You better be sure when the storm comes that you're in the right boat, that you follow the Savior, that you got in the boat because then it doesn't matter how bad the storm comes. Your ship can be full of water, but you will be safe because Jesus is in the boat. But then I want you to notice a rebuke. There's a calming rebuke. Peace. Be still. And as fast as it started, the storm stopped. Did you know all those burdens and problems and issues and difficulties and conflicts and confusions and trials that you have in your life? Did you know that God could stop them in an instant and it could all be over just as fast as it started? Amen. Calming rebuke. And then there's a convicting rebuke. And the Lord rebukes not the wind, not the waves. But the disciples. And he rebukes them about two things number one, about fear, and number two, about faith. And he says to them, Why are you so afraid? A lot of fear these days. A lot of uncertainty, a lot of, uncertainty, a lot of worry. The economy is apparently good, but you and I know they can't just keep printing money without it catching up with us someday. Social Security has been bankrupt for a long time, and a lot of people depend on that for their future. Big companies have gone out of business, and people that thought they had a pension all set suddenly have nothing for their old age. Disease now, they haven't quite been able to control. And I'll just tell you, when that one's gone, there'll be another one later on. It'll be swine flu or Ebola or COVID or something. A lot of fear. And the Lord Jesus says, why are you afraid? Well, the answer is we're about to die. Except they really weren't. Did you know fear is normal? but you know the Bible forbids it. God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The psalmist said, what time I'm afraid I will trust in thee. But he said again, I like this even better, I will trust and never be afraid. 
So think about it. Why are you afraid? What scares you? What keeps you awake at night? What nags at the back of your mind and causes you to worry? I knew a lady, she's always scared to death her husband was going to leave her. He was good to her. He loved her. He was faithful to her. She's just scared to death. He was going to leave. One thing to do with him was just her own insecurities. One time he's supposed to pick her up at a door of a mall. It was before the day of cell phones, and they got the doors confused. He was 10 minutes late because he went to the wrong door, and when he got there, she was a basket case, all by crying and falling apart. She was sure he'd left him. What are you scared of? Well, Brother Led, I, I went to the doctor. He thinks it might be serious. Yeah. Well, I might have some bad disease, yeah. Well, it's, it's pretty serious disease, yeah. Well, I, I, I might get sick. Well, yeah, and then what? Well, I might not recover. Well, then what? Well, I might die. Well, then what? Huh. Did you know ain't none of us getting out of this thing alive? Unless Jesus comes back first, we're all going to die. It's appointed in the man wants to die. Man came to John Rice one time, stuck a gun in his stomach, and said, I'm going to blow your brains out. <laughs> Not a biology major. <laughs> John Rice looked at him and he said, You can't scare me with heaven. Talked to a preacher about an old preacher named Monroe Parker. He met my dad at the aisle the night my dad got saved in 1949. But uh, Monroe Parker was a tough man, strong man physically, football player from Alabama. Monroe Parker used to do a headstand and then do push-ups. Go home and try that. We'll know who did by the neck braces on Wednesday. He was preaching a meeting in Kentucky back in the holler where uh, the police didn't go. The old preacher at the church picked him up at the train station said, hurry, hurry. He said, get in the car. There's going to be trouble. He got in the car. He said the last evangelist was here. They shot him and killed him while he was standing in the pulpit. They said the same bullet killed him, went through his body, hit his wife on the piano and killed her too. They had a Saturday night prayer meeting and they prayed like this. Oh God, don't let Dr. Parker die. Oh, God, don't let Dr. Parker die. And Dr. Parker said, you could hear my fervent amens intermingled in their prayers. This is in the sermon on the 23rd Psalm by Monroe Parker. He preached it at our church. It was a rough meeting. Tough guys, six guns on their hip came into the meeting and stood there with their arms crossed and dared the preacher to say anything they didn't like. One night, they turned off the light switch. They beat up the old pastor. Stole his fountain pen, broke his glasses, and Monroe Parker had had enough. He picked up the pulpit, he put it aside, he faced that entire crowd. He said, you bunch of cowards. Beat up an old man in the dark, break his glasses, steal his fountain pen. He said, you bunch of bullies, go around with your six guns pointed at your heels. You better be careful. They might go off accidentally and blow your brains out. Another non-biology major. And then he said, everybody's saying, oh God, don't let Dr. Parker die. Oh God, don't let Dr. Parker die. He said, you can't kill me. I'm going to live as long as God lives. Hey, so am I. If you know Jesus, so are you. So why are you so afraid? Why? And then he rebukes them about their faith. Remember, faith is not the absence of doubt. 
It's trusting God in spite of your doubt. You say it this way. Faith is having a little more trust than you do doubt. Just a little more. Where's your faith? That's interesting. Where is your faith? You know everybody has faith. Everybody's. How many drove here? Well, good. Uh, how many came to a traffic light? Somewhere driving. You came to a green light. I know what you did. The light was green, and you slowed way down. And you looked real careful to the right, real careful to the left, made sure nobody's coming. Then you sort of eased through the intersection, didn't you? No, you didn't. You just drove on through. Some of you saw it starting to turn yellow, and you mashed on the accelerator to get on through. You had no idea who was on the other side. You, there could have been teenagers on the other side of that light, and they could have driven through. You had faith that perfect strangers would follow a traffic signal. Who made these pews, preacher? Who made these pews? I'm sorry? Rainsville Pew Company. How much are they rated for weight-wise? You don't know what they're rated for? Oh, so y'all know what they're rated for, don't you? Huh? You have no idea. Most of you didn't know Rainsville Pew Company made them. And you just came and said, somebody came and plopped on them. And somebody like me, you're pretty good size. What if you sat down on that pew and it broke during church? Wouldn't that be embarrassing? Now, we'd help you. We'd be kind to you. Just as soon as we took your picture and posted it on Instagram, we would help you. Faith. Everybody has, where is your faith? Some people, their faith is in Social Security. Their faith is in the government. Their faith is in their spouse's ability to take care of themselves. Their faith is in their own strength and their own two hands and their ability to work and provide a living. But my Bible says, have faith in God. You know why you get upset? You know why you worry? You know why you're bothered about all the circumstances of life? Because your faith is not in God like it ought to be. And you don't realize God is the blessed controller of all things and nothing can happen against his will and he takes the wrath of man and turns it around and uses it to praise him where is your faith so think about the story a couple thoughts number one storms are normal they came up often in the sea of Galilee in the world you shall have tribulation be a good cheer. I've overcome the world. We get this idea that because there's trouble, somehow God doesn't love us. Because there's trouble, God's not blessing us. Because there's trouble, we may have done something wrong. No, 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 no. Trouble is a normal and even a necessary part of life. In fact, Jesus said, beware when all men speak well of you. He said, if you don't have any trouble. Nobody's against what you're doing. You're probably doing something wrong. Bob Jones Sr. used to say, the man who has no enemies is not doing anything. You cannot move without producing friction. Trouble's normal. There are going to be storms. It's going to happen. And the devil, the devil, he can upset your life. He sure did for Job. That was all the devil's doing. God let it happen. God used it for good. God brought evil out of it. God worked the evil of the devil together for good for Job and for an example for generations and centuries uh, that we have been able to observe and learn from and be encouraged by. The devil can mess up your life. 
but he can't sink your ship. No, he'll make it bounce around a little bit and the lightning will split the darkened sky and the thunder will crash and the waves will roll over and your ship will be covered. But he cannot sink your ship. You know why? Because if you are in the boat with Jesus, you can survive storms that'll sink everybody else. I have been so encouraged as I get to travel around and see the people of God and I've seen such great testimonies of people who have been tried and tested. They've had troubles and trials and tribulations. But God, has sustained them through all of it. Hey, the devil can make you bounce around a little bit, but he'll never sink your ship. You get in the boat with Jesus, you'll survive all the storms of life. Another lesson is this. Fear is normal, but it isn't necessary. You can, what time I'm afraid, trust in it, or you can trust and never be afraid. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You know, preacher, I used to preach, you people that don't tithe, you rascals wanting selfishly to keep God's money, and you don't care if the whole world dies and goes to hell. I'd preach about teenagers that say you want to go out and just live like the devil and have a big time. You rebellious, ungodly people. But I learned something one day. The devil scares more people into sin than he dares into sin. You know why most people in a good church like yours that don't go soul winning, don't go soul winning? It's not because they hate the lost. It's not because they want people to die and go to hell. It's not because they don't believe in the power of the gospel. They're afraid. You know why most people in a good church like this who don't tithe, don't tithe? It's not because they don't want the word of God to be carried around the world by the missionaries. It's not because they don't want the preacher and the staff to be paid. They, they don't want the church to go forward. It's because they're scared. I used to wonder why a nice Christian girl would get involved with a rotten guy. And even after she found out how rotten he was, she'd stay with him. And I think I figured it out. They're scared nobody else would like him. They think that's their only chance. They think if they lose him, they'll be alone for the rest of their lives. And they think a lousy guy is better than no guy. That's not true. But I found out way more people disobey God because of fear than of rebellion. But God doesn't give you the spirit of He gives you a spirit of power, the power of His spirit and of love and of a sound mind. That means a disciplined mind. The, the idea is that you control your mind and you cause your mind to think the thoughts of truth and Bible and to have the mind of Christ, not the thoughts that come in your mind. Did you know the devil can put thoughts in your mind? That's what he did to Ananias and Sapphira. Why Satan filled thine heart to lie against the Holy Ghost. He can't read your mind, but he can put thoughts in your mind. And the Bible tells us you cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Bob Jones Sr. said, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep it from building a nest in your hair. My method is to not give them very much material work with. Yeah, you can fear, but you don't have to fear. Fear is normal. It's not necessary. And then notice this. It is sinful to not exercise faith. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. What is faith? Faith is believing God. 
Faith is believing what God said a little bit more than you listen to your doubts or you listen to the devil or you listen to the philosophy of the world. Maybe it's not this way with you, but I'm guessing it is. I pastored the same church 44 years, and I was pretty busy. I, I pastored. I preached out every week. I wrote for a long time articles for the sword of the Lord. I wrote some books. I wrote a couple articles every issue of the Baptist Voice. I talked to a lot of people on the phone. They have questions and call me. And it was hard to keep it all figured out. And every once in a while, I think I got it figured out. I'll do this on this day and this on this day and this at this time and this this way. Okay, good. Now, I, I, got it, I got it set. I got my schedule worked out. And about that time, God came along and said, good, now I want you to do this. I want you to step out of your comfort zone, out of your schedule, out of your organized life. And I want you to add something to it. And I said, Lord, I just barely got that figured out. And it's like the Lord said, yeah, you had it figured out. You are walking by sight, and I want you to walk by faith. And I'll promise you what God's going to do to the Bible Baptist Church, what God's going to do to you as a part of the Bible Baptist Church. God's going to come along and say, take another step and take another step and take another step. And the preacher's going to announce something, and you go, really? And you swallow hard and wonder how it is going to work. It's sinful not to live by faith. I've never been to a movie. And as a boy, Christians didn't go to movies. That's right. I mean, they just didn't. Amen. And uh, I, 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 in school, I hear about a kid going to a movie. I just figured he wasn't saved. Yeah. Now, I know Christians go to movies these days, some of them. And to be fair, Hollywood's a lot cleaner now than it was when I was a boy. <laughs> but I read about this movie called Superman. And Superman, you know, he's faster than a speeding bullet and more powerful than a locomotive and able to leap tall buildings at a single bound, otherwise known as a church secretary. <laughs> Superman flew down and uh, rescued this guy from a burning building. He picks him up. He's flying away. They're going real fast, and they're up real high. And the guy looks down, and the houses look like they're made of Legos, and the people look like hands, and he gets scared. Superman got upset with him. That's what it said. And he said, hey, I didn't fly all the way down there and pick you up out of a burning building just to drop you on the way home. I wonder if God didn't look at his children. I wonder if he didn't say, hey, I didn't reach down and pull you out of the miry clay and take you out of the pit and set your feet on a rock and establish your goings. I didn't send my son to shed his blood as the ransom for your sin. I didn't indwell you by my spirit and write your name in the Lamb's book of life and make your child and put you in the hand of my son and put him in my hand just to drop you on the way home. Where's your faith? Why are you so afraid? 